I'm Audrey Cooper, the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle, and today I'm going to be joined by Dominic Fracasa. Dom has been covering for us the controversy over how and when San Francisco can build more so-called navigation centers. Now, these are places where they help get people off the street, out of homelessness, and also give them services so that hopefully they can be permanently housed in the near future. We talk about what these are, why they are so controversial in some neighborhoods, and the likelihood of one being planted on the city's scenic Embarcadero. That's today on Fifth and Mission. Here's my conversation with Dominic Fracasa, City Hall reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. Hey, Dom. Hello. Let's talk about some navigation centers and what's going on with them. So tell us basically how these are different from regular shelters. Yeah, that's a very good question. The the nomenclature can be a little bit deceiving. I mean, in fact, these are homeless shelters. Navigation centers are homeless shelters, but with added layers of services on site. So in short, these are places that unlike what we would consider a traditional quote unquote homeless shelter, People who are there can stay round the clock, generally for longer than the periods offered at San Francisco's homeless shelters. Most importantly, there are what the city likes to call wraparound services on site. So depending on a person's needs, whether they're addicted to drugs, whether they might actually be close to being able to go back uh, uh, into either a housing situation or might be able to contact a loved one in another city, whatever their needs are, they're meant to be met on site by trained professionals at the navigation centers who are essentially on call at any time of day to help people, as it were, navigate to more stable living environments out of homelessness. Right. And these were designed as short-term places for people to stay, like kind of a a short stop while they get assessed while the city figures out what they need to get back on their feet or to get on their feet for the first time, maybe even. And then move on to something that's more stable. Exactly right. And all of the leases at the existing navigation centers are temporary. None of these are meant to exist forever. I mean, that's kind of a depressing idea that they would need to exist forever, that the city could never get a handle around it. But but to your point, that's exactly right. They're temporary solutions meant to guide you to a stable living environment. And the idea is there's, you know, few problems that won't get better when you're, you know, have a roof over your head. So... So in the recent election that we had, navigation center was like the favorite word, I think, of every politician that was running. It was the solution to all the street problems. It kind of has been held up as this like ideal solution if just we had more navigation centers, then we would get our hands around this problem. Tell us why that might be good politics, bad policy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a, it's for some reason it's a catchy term. Navi- and I, I think it's still that way. I think that navigation centers have persisted as this solution that everybody wants to get behind, but the consequences of which are not fully thought out. I mean, to, to your point, these are these are temporary solutions. So uh, the, the politics around it are, I think, pretty straightforward. Um, homelessness is widely regarded as San Francisco's singular or at least number one issue that needs tackling. It's not the only issue but it's certainly it's most pressing. It's a humanitarian crisis. So therefore, we should take every step to to, uh, get on the path towards solving it. Shelters are going to bring people off the street. Their futures are therefore, you know, still very uncertain. There is no 
certainty that that people are going that 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 the services are going to take the first time. You know, that people are going to be ready to accept it. People are racked by addiction and mental illness, and those problems are very hard to solve and are not going to be solved by you know a two week stay at a navigation center. And so, what I think has happened here that is a bit problematic is in the rush to support navigation centers, we have forgotten about that second half of the equation. We've forgotten about what happens after people navigate away from an unstable living situation and into generally what's considered to be the end point is housing. Again, whether that's with someone who lives far away, with with a loved one who you can be connected with, or whether that's permanent supportive housing, you know, subsidized housing with with on-site services for people who need them, we've forgotten about the second half of it. We've been focusing on shelter and perhaps losing the spotlight that needs to be placed on on housing as well. Right. So one of the problems is when you get these people housed and they're ready to move on, we don't have anywhere to put them. And the the next step is supposed to be permanent supportive housing, but presumably even that you would want to eventually move on from at some point. And this ladder of housing that is supposed to exist under the situation really doesn't at all. Yeah. Or it's only a few rungs high. Exactly. That, that we've got so much attention. And then keep in mind, navigation centers are also, in terms of the sort of continuum of, of services around homelessness that the city offers, I mean, housing is the one we spend the most on around homelessness in particular. But in terms of operating shelters, these are the most expensive solution for the city to operate. I mean, those services cost money. You know, the, the city is not, the city is hiring um, organizations like Episcopal Community Services and uh, St. Vincent de Paul, I think, in some cases, to run these centers. And that costs the city money. And to do it right, to provide services at a at a threshold, at a level at which will be effective, it's not cheap. Well, that's the same way the city runs its parallel shelter system, too, which is I've always thought is a very sort of Byzantine, every shelter is different and has different rules and is not unlike a navigation center 24 hours a day. So there's this temporary housing piece in the city that's, you know, navigation centers are are starting to solve, but we still have this shelter system that's still very fractured and and frankly confusing to, to me as a housed person. Oh, yeah. So if you were in crisis on the streets, you can see how it would be even more confusing to somebody to try to negotiate a place to sleep at night. Oh, 100%. When you have a lot of other stuff to worry about. You know what I mean? In addition to, and perhaps most importantly, getting housed, like navigating this system, it is Byzantine. And respectfully, it's difficult for city officials to explain it to me how it works. Generally speaking, and and, and to say nothing of the wait list, right, that that we have, there are routinely, pretty much every single night, over a thousand people on a shelter wait list. People don't always know how to even get onto a wait list. There are, you know, the system works in a way that, well, if you're not here by 5 or 5.30, then the bed becomes available. And if you were on the wait list, maybe you can get into one of those beds, but maybe it's at a shelter across town. I mean, it's it's extremely complicated. And I don't think serving people in need uh, as best as nearly as well as it should be. So the city, in part, in part because of knowing that that was broken, came up with this idea of navigation centers. They're very enticing to people who do want to get off the street. Do you want to explain some reasons why, besides the services, why navigation centers are such an attractive place? I think it comes down to, in many respects, the the permissiveness of navigation centers. Navigation centers are much more flexible around what they allow people to bring. And it's usually the three Ps, right? Their pets, their partners, and their possessions. Where a traditional homeless shelter may say, we don't allow pets here. You cannot bring your partner. You know, it has more restrictions around getting one of those overnight mats, as it were. 
navigation centers say, no, bring your stuff, come in. We're going to, you know, be a lot more, uh, um, again, permissive around what you can bring in as a way to entice you to do that, to limit the, uh, to, to remove the barriers that might be preventing someone from, from seeking services or getting into a shelter. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I think generally these, they are filled, you know, I think by my count, there's about uh, 495 navigation center beds that is included in the city's roughly 2,000 uh, shelter bed, navigation center bed continuum. And there's also another th- 29 beds actually at the um, Hummingbird Place, which is specifically reserved for people with acute psychiatric and often addiction or some combination thereof. So, right. A, yeah. lo- a lot of our, how- our, our unhoused population has not only um, probably a mental illness, but also a physical disability and or drug or alcohol issues. And when you start to add multiple diagnoses, you make these, this is a particularly difficult population to address. And that's what the navigation centers were supposed to do. So tell us, we know the politicians like this because it sounds like a progressive and um, compassionate response. We know they're expensive, but there's also been a problem in finding places to put them. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and my, my colleague, Tricia Tadani, has covered this uh, uh, really well. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of reasons why the city tells us navigation centers will not work in a given location. A lot of it comes down to, we're told, um, the internal deliberations on this are a little bit harder to get at, but the reasons why a lot of sites are are deemed um, not appropriate for a navigation center often comes down to a matter of scale, where where we can't afford to, because of the expenses that we've talked about, we can't afford to put X number of people in this space. There's not a critical mass to make this cost effective from, from the city's perspective. There are also myriad uh, um, snags that can come up around uh, getting utilities hooked up, you know, ensuring that a building is, you know, up to code in some instances. The city loves as much as it can uh, to put these on places that it already owns, that, you know, pieces of government property, as it were, um, which is, you know, what what I've been writing about over the past month, this whole situation on, on seawall lot 330 on the Embarcadero is owned by the port. So those are the ones that the city, mag, you know, is attracted to like a magnet because it doesn't have to spend more money for the land underneath, which is often the most expensive part. So before we get to the drama and the debate <laughs> over the Embarcadero, the proposed navigation center on the Embarcadero, there's been legislation to sort of um, pressure all the supervisors to accept one in their neighborhood. And even during our interviews during the election season with the candidates, there were some districts that were almost unanimous saying we do not want any kind of new shelter in our neighborhood. So talk about that problem. Yeah, you've got like the logistical problems around finding these sites, and then you've got just the straight up opposition to them, which is a very different animal. So the uh, legislation that you referenced was introduced by Supervisor Matt Haney. He represents District 6, Soma, the Tenderloin, uh, um, a pretty, including Treasure Island. It's a pretty big swath of the city that he that he represents now. Um, the vast majority of services around homelessness are clustered in his district, in District Six, Districts Nine, uh, like the Mission District, District Ten, uh, the Bayview, Hunters Point. Those have the most uh, um, services inside of them. And some residents say, look, we've done enough, especially in District 6, which does have the most in it. They say, we've shouldered enough of the burden. It's time for the rest of the city to do its part and to find sites elsewhere. So Matt Haney, partially in response to the drama that we'll talk about in a moment, introduced legislation. I don't believe it's been heard in committee yet um, to essentially compel 
other districts to open navigation centers in their own backyards, as it were. Uh, and I believe that nav- that goes to, uh, I think it's 30 months. I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the amount of time, but it's, it's a forcing function, or it's intended to be, to get these places open elsewhere, not just in the traditional sort of um, neighborhoods where they've been clustered. Now, I have yet to see or to get any kind of meaningful explanation about what the forcing function will be, what the teeth are in that legislation, as it were. I think a lot of us are still waiting to see uh, how a supervisor intends to force the rest of his colleagues to do something that they may not be entirely prepared to do in some instances, despite the politics and kind of the optics around building shelter right now. Um, So I am not sure that that's going to be any kind of a silver bullet. I think in most respects, it was a kind of reaction to, and an understandable one, a a reaction to a very loud call uh, among his constituents to get the city to act if it's, you know, not prepared to to voluntarily do so, to, to, to force them one way or the other. Well, and there are some districts where they are looking for places to put them. I just had a meeting with a supervisor, Valley Brown, and she said, we are looking for one in the hate, in the Fillmore, anywhere we can find. And what I thought was really interesting about what she said is because the homeless population is so um, segmented in the hate, you have a lot of traveler kids mm-hmm. and some of them are very violent and some of them are dealing drugs. And do we want them to be put in a navigation center with maybe some people who can be more readily housed or helped? And how do you segment this population so that you're really addressing the problem on the street, but also helping the people who eventually go there, which I thought was a really interesting point that we haven't really seen as much in the mission and in Dogpatch and in some other neighborhoods. Yeah, that's true. I think the amount of time that this conversation goes on, I think the nuances like you're describing around, you know, what population should be into and should get into a navigation center. I think those are the problems that continue to emerge and to make it even more complicated. I think I would be remiss, too, to, to not mention that you can't just basically sign up for a navigation center bed, you have to be referred um, by members of the homeless outreach or hot team or by, um, you know, uh, uh, representatives from the Department of Homelessness in support of housing. You basically have to be deemed a good candidate to be able to get into one. That is that kind of um, reference or, or referral, if you will, is um, is, a, is an important component of that too. All right. So we've put it off long enough. Let's <laughs> talk about what in the heck is going, why, why is Twitter lighting up over the Embarcadero, the proposed Embarcadero Navigation Center? And I I would just point out, you know, when we were talking earlier, I I mentioned there was a temporary navigation center that was on 24th Street that I went by every day on my way to and from work. And I thought at the time, I don't know how the city is going to get anyone to want one of these in their neighborhood if this is the example, because there were always tents outside. There were lots of needles on the ground. There were lots of people just hanging out there. It was... It was not something that I wanted to walk my son by every day. Um, and and part of that's because the people inside didn't have anything else to do right. during the day. So that's one problem. And the other problem is uh, I was told by some of the advocates in the city, those people actually are housed. They're just meeting with their friends there. And they're, they're, it was a hard area to sort of keep under control. So some of the other navigation centers have been much much cleaner, uh, much nicer on the outside. I think Division Street, it yep. always impresses me how, you know, it, it looks really unassuming. It's really clean. You don't see a lot of people outside trying to get in or vice versa. Yep. Um, so, so the city has not always done a good job. So that brings us to how we come to be on the Embarcadero, right, on one of the most iconic and scenic 
parts of the city of any city in the United States, really. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the proposal exactly? Yeah, so you're going to take all this baggage and just drop it right onto the Embarcadero, and, and that's how we got where we are today. So just to take a, a very brief um, sort of synopsis of this whole situation, um, I believe it was in early March, um, San Francisco Mayor London Breed uh, came out with a proposal to build what would be or what will be the largest navigation center in San Francisco at about 200 beds um, by comparison, the biggest right now is the Bayshore Navigation Center on Bayshore Boulevard at 128 beds. So this would be not insubstantially larger than that. She wants to build the largest navigation center in San Francisco on a parcel of land called Seawall Lot 330. Mayor London Breed wants to turn an Embarcadero parking lot into a homeless center. Not surprisingly, there is a lot of pushback to this. The the city's proposal has been revised. Uh, The city is now proposing a 200-bed site opening with a capacity of up to 130 beds. This will be for a two-year term uh, with an option to renew. Uh, contingent upon the Port Commission making findings that there's been a reduction in unsheltered homelessness in the outreach zone. This has been a target of developers for many, many years, up to and including the you know ill-fated proposal to put um, the new Warriors Arena uh, on the waterfront. Uh, the Lucas uh, Film Museum was once you know going to have some kind of real estate there. None of those plans have worked out for various reasons. But this is this plot of land is owned or managed, if you will, by the Port of San Francisco, which means the uh, I think five member Port Commission has the authority to decide what happens there. The mayor needed their approval. Now it's uh, just a fact that the mayor appoints all of the members of the point of uh, the Port Commission, just as a matter of the city charter. London Breed hasn't appointed any of the sitting Port Commissioners, but there you have it. Anyway, the Port, um, after about a month of hearing from um, irate city residents, uh, decided uh, in late April to move forward with the plan, but, but not before there was a real groundswell of opposition from people who lived around the, the proposed site. The following are reasons why there should not be a navigation center at Lot 330. I know I'm going to run out of time, so you could just cut me off. We think that it would be proper to consider other districts. This is just the wrong place. I just feel like having the navigation center would just, like, make them scared. Very contentious meeting tonight. Mayor Breed basically walked right into the lion's den on this one. Here's the thing. You know, I'm sad. I am home. They, uh in essence, do not believe, for a lot of the reasons that you, you know, described about the 24th Street Center, do not believe that the city is capable of managing this site well. That if you build this navigation center here on the waterfront in our community, it will turn our neighborhood into a dirty and dangerous place, full stop. That there is that there is no faith in the city's ability to manage it well. And then that includes, you know, uh, good outcomes for the people inside, and that includes keeping the neighborhood uh, well-run for everybody else living around it. They brought up the argument about District 6, that this, that this, uh, which includes their neighborhood, uh, Rincon Hill and South Beach, for example, in San Francisco. They uh, uh, say District 6 has done enough. Find it, do it, build it somewhere else. Great idea, just don't build it here, was kind of, in essence, their, their argument. So... Right now, um, the plan is to build the center, but there are um, some, you know, well-funded, some reasonably well-off people who live on the waterfront there. And uh, one of the reasons why Twitter blew up is because they decided to have an online fundraiser to raise money for a legal defense, essentially, or it's it's offense, really, to to, um, fund uh, a, a way to block this through the courts. Right now, I spoke to one of the members of that organization who spoke to me, you know, just briefly on background to update me. Um, They have hired a lawyer. 
they intend to challenge the uh, construction of this homeless shelter on the grounds that um, it violates the California Environmental Quality Act. Um, or CEQA in any number of ways. Uh, it's not exactly clear what, what direction well, they'll take. Well, when it's, you're going to challenge anything in California that somebody wants to build, you use CEQA. It's, yeah. it's, it's the secret law that keeps on giving to people who want to block things. It seems there are a few things that don't apply under CEQA, and it is an enormous law, but nevertheless, it's, I think, encouraged to, you know, a requisite amount of eye rolling. That's to be expected, as it were. I believe that they will um, take it to all the way to court if they you know, decide that it's cost effective for them to do so. In other words, not in front of the Board of Supervisors on a CEQA matter, but you know, suing them, suing the city in state court, as it were. Um, the city likes its chances. The city attorney's office is ready to handle this, and they think that they'll be able to take it on. That'll it, still take so long, it though, will to delay. go through the courts. It will delay it for a really long time. And proponents which, you know, uh, which sort of met this opposition from all over the city, you know, descending on public meetings to say, like, look, this is a good idea. And I also want it in my backyard, too. Um, you know, they say, look, you're delaying bringing someone off the street. You're delaying their potential well-being. You're, you know, you're looking at this person with contempt and not compassion is really what it comes down to for people who want to see this built. Well, it's, you know, it's interesting to me because I, it, it, once again, we'll talk about Audrey's commute home, but I used to live <laughs> in this neighborhood yeah. and I lived there for a decade and definitely saw a huge change in the street population there. Mm -hmm. But it was an interesting change because in some ways, District 6 um, or that part of District 6 was always a huge, you know, place for the unhoused because mm -hmm. the Transbay Terminal, the old Transbay Terminal was there and it was a tent city like you have never seen at night. Yeah, it was and, and, yeah. and you wouldn't see it unless you, like I, you know, ran around that area mm -hmm. or if you were there at night after all the workers go home. That's the only way you would know that it was there. But then we build you know, Salesforce Tower there and the Transbay Terminal, all those people are displaced. So they come out into the neighborhoods a lot more. So I think this this part of the city has been really frustrated by city decisions that have happened to them too. But as you say, there's a huge amount of nimbyism that's playing into this too. I, I just, I don't know how else to define it in essence when the opponents themselves are saying, I'm a compassionate person. I believe that navigation centers can work. I just don't want to see it there. And they'll throw the book at you as to the reasons why. It's extremely tourist heavy. They're envisioning, you know, putting a place where people are potentially loitering in a high traffic. I mean, literally traffic in cars and vehicles, not to mention people traveling on foot along the Embarcadero to, uh, uh, oh God, it's Oracle, right? To, to see a Giants game. <laughs> Whatever they're naming Whatever the ballpark the now. the sponsor <laughs> is. You know, to see a Giants game and eventually to see a Warriors game in Mission Bay as well. You know, they're, they're, you know, describing in vivid detail these, you know, harrowing sounding confrontations that they or their loved ones have had with homeless people or people they believe to be homeless. It's it's extremely personal for, for these folks. But I, I don't know how else to define not in my backyardism other than, hey, I like this. Just don't build it there. I mean, it's these are these are cut from the same cloth. There's two things about this argument that I, I find are sort of um, 
maybe disingenuous is not a bad word for this. The first is this argument that District 6 has so much more of the services. That is technically true, Mm -hmm. but mostly we're talking about the area that has the services is the area north of Market Street, and this is an area south of Market Street. They're very distinctive neighborhoods in some ways. Oh, no, and actually in almost every way possible. Not not in some ways. All of them. They don't don't look – you wouldn't even think you you were in the same. There's no there are no indicators between one neighborhood and the other, between South Beach and the Tenderloin, that are going to lead you to any kind of gut feeling that this is part of the same geography. You know, part of the same geographical districts. I mean, I, I had people in inside of District Six say these are just lines on a map. That that that's all this is. And and people who wanted to see this shelter built made what I thought was a very compelling point that they're uncomfortable with people in South Beach and Rincon Hill taking credit, as it were, for the district's efforts to house the homeless and provide them with services writ large. That you can't say, I live in South Beach, I'm a part of District 6, I've done enough. When someone in the Tenderloin says, I you know, want to see more of these, I live right next to one. You know, it's, it's, there's certainly a little bit of a disconnect there because there is very little to link these other than the lines that somebody drew on a map a long time ago. The other thing that's interesting about this shelter versus navigation center debate is probably a lot of people who are fighting the navigation centers now don't remember all the way back to Care Not Cash when uh, then Mayor Gavin Newsom came in. And one of his pillars of how he was going to solve homelessness was to basically get rid of shelters. Like this was not a priority. They sucked a lot of money out of the shelter system, didn't invest in any new ones. And the idea was to use that money for permanent housing instead. What happened to that plan? It kind of depends on who you ask about how exactly it it sort of unraveled. I mean, that was a huge swing of the pendulum, as you said, toward housing and away from the shelter system. I, I, I guess permanence is really what it came down to, right? Or at least a, a a sense of like having more stability rather than the comparative instability of a shelter. But uh, I mean, Angela Aliotto ran that program for years. Um, and I think by all accounts, she did a fairly reasonable job. I think it's a little bit dubious to say she housed like 10,000 people, which is, I think, the number that she usually trots out. I don't think it was quite that many. Um, but ultimately, but as thousands of people thousands, did get housed that to, way. To be, to be sure. To be sure. The problem was more kept becoming homeless right. on the streets right. or kept coming, depending on who you ask. Right, right, exactly. I think currently it's about 3x for the amount of people that they find housing for through one of the city programs. Three times that number um, become enters homelessness in San Francisco. That's right now. But I think if, to hear city officials talk about that and talk about the sort of uh, um, long arc that that's taken, well, Gavin Newsom, wasn't, that wasn't that long ago. But in reality, it's, it feels like a long time ago. Administrations have changed. And I think especially starting with Mayor Ed Lee, this, the conversation around shelter started to shift back. The pendulum started to swing. And I think that we are still sort of riding that, that sort of moment in the arc right now where I, – I, well, I'll tell you what. I think in terms of the rhetoric that I hear a lot – There is at long last a wedding of the two issues of, look, temporary shelters to get people off the streets and then housing to make their, you know, their uh, um, escape from homelessness permanent. It's not an either or argument anymore. No longer because the the link between homelessness and housing is now, I think, finally being articulated in a way that a lot of more people are hearing the message. They're hearing about the housing crisis. They're hearing about the homelessness crisis, you know. And, and, and I think the, the overlap, the sort of Venn diagram is finally starting to, to click for people. 
The other thing that's really interesting about this fight is it seems to be fueled by social media in a way that I almost haven't seen in another local issue in San Francisco. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, The main group who has sort of sprung up to organize opposition to the center is called Safe Embarcadero. um, And they are, in a short amount of time, became extremely prolific on Twitter. They have, you know, they're using social media to... Um, I think attract similarly minded people throughout the rest of San Francisco who, you know, don't believe that navigation centers can are effective, that the city can't do anything right. And I, I'm not sure what their solutions are exactly other than to build them elsewhere. But the the um, the sort of vitriol and the, um, the the opposition that is sort of in, in your gut but not really well articulated, there's a lot of glomming on there and a lot of, um, I think, shared viewpoints that lead to social media uh, extravagances. You know, when people are going to engage in the kind of, you know, ah, screw you, no, screw you, you know, <laughs> which essentially defines most of yes, social media interactions. A- excellent but. public discourse. Yeah, yeah. So, like, before we, we end this and, and go back to our inboxes, we'll be f- which will be full of hate mail from both sides that don't like what we're saying, which I know you're looking forward to, but this issue of... Will the city be responsible for maintaining the site in a way that's that's beneficial to the neighbors and to the people who are temporarily living there? Mm-hmm. Mayor London Breed is putting her neck out on the line on this one. She went to a community meeting about it. She got booed down in, in a way I, that I think was the first probably ever of her administration. What's on the line for her? I think – well, I think if you look look at it this way, I mean, when you have essentially roped in the moral component of this argument, that it's person on the street or person on a bed, that has a lot of force behind it. And that has helped her to accumulate a lot of support. There are people who hate each other, whether it's like the, D- the Democratic Socialists versus the Yimbies. They don't like each other very much. They don't agree on a lot. They both want to see this navigation center built. So I think that there is actually a fair bit of uh, or- organic coalition building that has happened as a result of this. W- whatever you think about the mayor, you want to see people in shelters, I think is is the the viewpoint that's emerged. But yeah, she has stuck her neck out on this and she isn't really backed down from it either. She's not somebody who likes to do that a lot uh, mm-hmm. in my experience in covering her since she's been in office. Um, but yeah, like you said, she stuck her neck out on this. And I, I think that what you're going to see is that translate into a lot more attention from Public Works and SFPD. I think that they are under a lot of pressure to get this one right when it does get built. Um, But that's what we're going to have to wait and see. Um, Yeah. If it ever makes it through the courts. If it ever, if, if, you know, they wanted to have a, uh, I think a two-year lease, you know, this might take two years before it even, even gets built. Anything else you want to say about navigation centers? (sighs) I, I just think it's important to remember that as we think about the immediate problems of street or a bed, that we don't forget about the second half of that equation. And housing is not cheap, and it's not—it's no easier to discuss or, or to get built in many instances, especially permanent supportive housing for people. That's expensive, too, uh, and it's not easy to manage. But I just think we've got to think about the problem holistically rather than get so bogged down in the mud of one, one navigation center in one neighborhood. I mean, we're not going to make a dent in homelessness with that kind of uh, with those kinds of blinders on, I think. Dominic Forcasa, thank you very much for being on the podcast Thank today. you for having me. Thank you so much to Dom for coming in today, and thank you for listening to Fifth Emission. 
Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.